Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell, and Ted Manor are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are under no obligation to follow them. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Welcome to the program. We have a great lineup for you today. Plenty of information and education with some entertainment thrown in for just good measure. Our question today comes from Brayden. He says, why is it important to have a financial plan? He said, I know you say it about, talk about it all the time. You say we should, but it's difficult. So why is it important? We're going to answer that question. Experience has kind of taught us that successful investing requires discipline and patience. And when emotions run high, as we see that they are doing that today, it's kind of easy to lose focus on your investment strategy. It's not uncommon, but it's a real problem for some people. And that's going to be one of the reasons why you're going to find that having a financial strategy is important. In the studio with me today are two experts that's going to help you gain insight into the importance of a sound financial strategy and share some of their time-tested ways to avoid tax traps with Social Security. The experts, Michael Powell and Ted Miner, they'll be with us in just a second. Also in the second half of the program, we have another expert. Daniel Irwin from the Better Business Bureau is here to talk us through scam school. It's that time of the year. So we got the professor here with us. Daniel has taped a phone call from a scammer that you do not want to miss. He actually tells us his income. (laughs) You're going to be shocked. When you hear what he says, that's coming up in the second half of the day's program. But first and foremost, let's introduce Michael Powell and Ted Miner to the program. Hey, good morning, Jim. Good morning. All right, Ted and Michael, uh, let's start off with this whole thought process. I mean, let me go back to Braden's question. Why is it important to have a financial plan? You talk about it. You you tell us that it's important. But I find it to be difficult, says Braden. And I understand that. Difficult. I get that that can be extremely difficult. He says, I want to understand. He said, I want to do a plan, but I just can't seem to get started. So, Michael, why is it important to have a good strategy, a good plan when it comes to working through your finances? I'd say the number one reason is because we're going to live a very long time. Or at least we plan to. We plan to, okay. Of course, life's unpredictable, but... The big thing we always talk about with clients is retirement. And people are like, hey, I want to retire at 65, but they don't plan out what the next 10, 15, 20 years are going to look like. And I have a lot of clients are like, well, none of my parents have lived past or grandparents have lived past the age of 80, so I'm going to live a really short retirement. But the question always comes back is, well, is your health okay? I mean, all these different circumstances and factors come into play. So you could very well outlive your expectations, and that's important when it comes to retirement I get planning. the kind of the thought from Braden. I didn't, we don't know his age, but I get the thought that maybe he might be under 40 and thinking that it's important that he does that. Mm-hmm. He's heard the program, and he's thinking, okay, I know I need to do something. But I think he's, I would be, and I can remember being under 40, knowing I needed to plan, but 
procrastinating, you know, not doing it today. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get my will that I need. I've got two kids. I'll get my will. A strategy, though, a real plan puts all this together for you. I know you've got five points that you talk about. Yes, and that one's the number one because when you get to retirement, I mean, you're living off a certain income level, whether it's you and your spouse or you by yourself. So are you going to be living that same lifestyle based on your resources you have, or do you need to dial that back? And it's really hard to plan that out without actually looking at it. And the more you delay it, the bigger problems that could come up. Ted's always made this good point. I'll just pick on him for a second. He's always said most people take more time to plan a vacation than they do their retirement. And your retirement's a 20, 30-year vacation. All right, but let me ask you this. I'm trying to think about Braden's. And you're talking about retirement. Now, this, yeah. I mean, again, if I'm 25 years old, guys, I hate to tell you, you're not going to get a sentence out of me. I'm not worried about I, retirement myself is, you either, know, forget personally. It, you know, I mean, yeah. no. But if I'm 60 years old, you got a book. I'll write you a book about retirement. But, For sure. So there's a priority. Why is it, let's go back to the question, strategy, strategy, plan, plan, why it's difficult. What are you seeing as the, the number one reason? I mean, I know you've talked about personal risk, those things that we have mm -hmm. and all the ideas. Oh, yeah. To, you know, that how that ties in. What are you you're talking about living too long? I yeah, just living the microphone, too long. It's one. right here in front of me and I'm my hand. <laughs> you know, I talk with my hands. You tell me to put, set my hands down, I'm dead. Tyler's over here going, okay, okay, I'll nail it down for you. But, you're like Ricky Bobby over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, don't, to go to your point, I mean, living too long, that's one thing. But also, you got to make sure you've protected you and your family from all these different risks out there. And of course, we take a risk every day by getting in our car and going to work. But I'm talking about the things like, hey, have you looked at your insurance plans, like your home insurance? If your dishwasher floods your kitchen, do you know what type of money you have to come out of pocket before the insurance company comes in? Or are you prepared if you lose your job and you've got to you know, go another three to six months without a paycheck? Are you prepared for that type of stuff? And I think that's really neglected a lot of times, but especially the younger generations like me, it's like, hey, look, I'm bulletproof. I'm 30. Um, you know, nothing bad's going to happen to me. It happens to the other guy. And I think preparing for those things, whether it's a life event, a disability, a job loss, those are reasons why. That's a big reason why oh, you so, want so a strategy. Knowing your risk yes. about that. Mm -hmm. Jim, I think one of the things that went in his question there, when you listen to it, he talks about it being difficult and he talks about not being able to get started. So, and then he asked, why should we do it? Um, you know, that, that's kind of conflicting information there. It looks like he, he sees the complexity of it, and he really doesn't know how to get, how to get going. Uh, one of the things we do in financial planning is we do projections. And I wonder, how is he doing projections in terms of how much money is he putting in his 401k? How does he know he's going to have enough in that 401k? What is his expenses going to be when he turns 55 and 60? How are they going to differ than what they are right okay, now? Okay, already you're beginning, uh, you know, as soon as you start asking those questions, I'm getting going, uh, That's uh, right. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's difficult. It's it a is. lot of questions, but they're important questions. They've, they are. And another thing about financial planning is a lot of people don't think about it, It's about contingencies. You know, one of the things that we, we don't know, we don't know what the market's going to do next year. Now, when we start planning... You plan on the historical values of the market. So we know if you give me a longer period of time, I can tell you about what I think the market's going to do over the five, five or 10 or 20. The longer that, pan, that span is, the closer I'm going to uh, come to it. But we also, when you get close to retirement, we also do some contingency planning. What do you do with, uh, I mean, for, for people that are 
turning on their income streams right now and the market's down. How are they going to how are they going to uh, react differently than if the market would have been up? So we talk about these things before they happen so that we have a plan based on these contingencies. That's a great, great, great point. If you just tuned in, my guest, Michael Powell, Ted Miner, we're talking about Braden's question. And he's simply and I want to remind you, if you've got a question for it, you can send it to uh, talk money at shoemakerfinancial.com. It's talk money at shoemakerfinancial.com. We will get the question on and we will do our best to answer the question and do, you know, give you the insight that you're looking for. That's important. We want to help you understand exactly your question. It's always important to get that on the air. So again, why is it important to have a financial strategy? And then he adds a lot of things. I like the question, but now you know, Michael, you've said, number one, you need to understand some of the financial risk. You talk about job loss. You talk about flooding in the kitchen. Those are things mm-hmm. that just happen. They just happen. Yeah. And you need to be prepared for that. You also talked about living too long. That's a risk. And, and Ted, you talked about the contingency, all those things. Those are two very, very critical parts to why a plan, answering his question, why is a plan important? What would be number three, Michael? I'd say to eliminate personal debts or just pay off liabilities that you may have been doing. I know a lot of people, when they get to retirement, they want to be debt-free. I know that's a perfect world, but that's not always the case. But it kind of goes back to the original start of it. Where do I go and where do I need to be? You got to figure out where you're at today. And I think with personal debt and things, we want to go from owing people to owning money, basically. And, uh, you know, the faster you eliminate that debt, the more you can accumulate assets over time. Now, of course, that's if I'm 30 and I've got plenty of time to work with that, that's a different story. But if I'm in my 60s and I'm preparing for retirement, I've got some debts that I need to pay off, whether it's credit card debts or a home mortgage or something like that. We can work around that a little bit more. But those are type of things, too, that people are looking at. You know, at. the Bible tells us very clearly that the borrower is the slave to our servant to the lender. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're really saying, that if you want to maintain that understanding of being free in your financial plan, working through it and being able to adjust when you can, be sure that you're not allowing debt to control you. Yeah, and don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that we need to be out of debt in order to retire or be financially successful. But at the same time, if I'm trying to get out of debt and I've been talking about it and I don't sit down and come up with an actual strategy to do that, it's really hard to get anywhere. Well, consumer debt, that credit card debt is mm-hmm. more of what you're really focusing on. Be yeah. careful to manage that. Don't get yourself into a 10, 11, 12. I mean, I've had people to come into the office and credit card debt was just all literally off the charts. I mm-hmm. mean, and they knew they had gotten out of control. And about two years later, sometimes 18 months, sometimes 12 months, shorter periods of time, we have this day of reckoning. We cut the credit cards up together and celebrate that or we burn them. You know, yeah. I had one guy said, I don't want to cut them. I want to come out in the parking lot and burn them. And he had brought a, a big bucket, you know, and he said he threw the cards. There were only four or five cards, but he put extra trash in there and we burned the credit cards because he he was he felt like he had made a huge statement to how he was going to manage his finances Absolutely. and that's critical yeah that's a great point all right what's number four you go to three and I, and I like these know your financial risk manage around that and that's critical and then eliminate personal debt and then understand that you may live too long Jim one of the things that too when you when you look at his uh, response there 
he has a plan. Yeah. You know, it's not that he hasn't planned. He has a plan. Yeah. And, and each of us could, could sit and talk about people we've sat down with, and they've had plans too. Some of them have been very, very good. Some of them have not been thought out well, and some of them are completely disastrous. And so I guess the question is, I just had a bathroom done in my house, and I was thinking about taking on that task by myself, <laughs> and I'm so glad I did not. <laughs> but as he was doing things, I asked him, well, why did you do this? And he had a good reason for it, but it was something that I would have never done, and I'd probably been in trouble for it if I hadn't done what he did. So, you, in other words, the expert, the expert knew what to do, and that's what we're kind of saying here. Sometimes it's okay if you want to be a, you know, a do-it-yourselfer, and, sure. and, and you know, to start maybe get. But I noticed in my career that that person kind of kind of starts and stops and starts and stops. Our job is to help them stay focused so that they're really reaching their financial goals and, and dreams. And we do it all the time. Yeah. I mean, so we've, you know, we've got... As your plumber, yeah, he we, did it all the right. time. We've got a little bit more insight into some of the questions they ask. I'd love to ask him, what does he plan for Social Security? Yeah. I mean, well, we're going to answer some questions about okay, that in yeah. just a few minutes. But I just wonder what, you know, what type of planning has he done for Social Security? What does he expect out of Social Security? Or yeah. does he expect anything at all? In fact, let me remind you that we're going to... And Ted's going to bring some... Very important things that when it comes to avoiding tax traps with Social Security, you don't think about that. You think, well, I just turn it on, it's fine. But there are some tax traps that Ted's going to walk us through and help us understand. I mean, bottom line is there's so much information from Social Security. It's just knowing what to do. He's the expert on that. And coming up, the professor, Daniel Irwin, is going to walk us through scam school. You don't want to miss that. All right, let's go back. Number four. Michael, what would you say? Well, it ties to longevity, and that's to be able to retire when and in the style you want to. So we know we're going to live a long time, or hopefully we are. Health, science, and all that's been a lot better. But consider food for just a minute. Just food. Assuming you and your spouse retire at 65, and you live to your life expectancy of just age 90, both you and your spouse, you're going to eat about 54, over almost 55,000 meals in retirement. Three meals a day for over 25 years for two people. And if each of those meals costs $5, you're going to spend almost $273,000 on food alone. I'm going to spend more than $5 a meal. I can tell you that right <laughs> and now. And $5 a meal is... Very, <laughs> I was thinking, $5 a meal. Let's now, see. if I grocery yeah. shop and cook those meals, Fast maybe that, that could bef- average is out. Is that before this year or after this year? <laughs> maybe a little bit irrelevant. Now, and if you're eating a $5 uh, Taco Bell box or something yeah. like that every day, which that ain't going to help you live long By either. By the way, if you eat fast foods at $5, you'll weigh 500 pounds. <laughs> so just keep doing That's it. right. But now, I mean, the point of that is, is, and that's not even accounting for inflation, which, of course, that's a hot topic right now. But either way, if you think about all the different activities and things that you do, we all eat. We all probably have some sort of recreational activities we like to do outside of work because you're freeing up 40 hours a week. There's so many things that go into that. And if you're not prepared for accounting for those expenses and being able to you know, accommodate that, then it's going to be really hard to work off work off of the way you've been working. I think that is so critical, knowing that you've got to make that plan. So from, from Braden's standpoint, don't wait till you're 55 to try to put that together. If he's, I don't, again, we don't know his age, but, you know, apparently maybe a little younger, but the point is it don't wait, don't put it off. You know, you need to, I've always told people this, if you've been used to watching the 60 screen or that used to be the 60, you know, screen, flat screen TV. Now it's the 90 flat screen TV or yeah. whatever it is, 98. The point is, if you've been used to watching that, you don't want to all of a sudden retire and have to go back to black and white. Right. You know, Michael said something really important there, and that is that, you know, one of the things when we are doing planning, it's not just about the money. 
it's all about the time too and you know what what are you going to do to fill that gap is, are they going are you going to travel more are you going to do things that cost money or don't cost money or what you know what are your plans for all that time the 2000 hours a year that you're going to have uh, void when you give up that job that that number one time consumer in your life right now you know one of the things too that i think and you're exactly right in time and and this is i want to deal with this because this is personal to me at this particular moment it's also personal to you ted and that is reality whether we like it or not part of our financial plan is taking care of that aging parent that's right mm-hmm. and that is an issue that so many people so from Braden's standpoint we don't know again parents may not be alive today but the reality is, i've got a 91 year old mother-in-law and whether you like it or not it's our responsibility to continue to take care of her and whether you know it's it's how do you go through that process so that's a part of any good plan that is one of the more important ones in retirement which we all neglect because we all hate saying that we're getting older slowing down a little bit and that part of retirement's really hard and you know considering the cost of long-term care that's a really really big deal i was talking to my grandmother about it the other day because she's 85 now she's my only grandparent living still and she lives 10 minutes from her house and you know, my mom could get over there in a minute if she needs to. And I think the point she was talking about her friend, she went to visit a friend in Oxford and uh, she's about to go into a nursing home facility. And she's like, do you know how much nursing home care is at this place? And I'm like, no, what is it? She's like, it's $7,000 a month in rent. And I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, but that's all included everything, in, you know, into that. And I'm like, wow. I mean, do some of these retirees or people like that, are they spending $7,000 a month now? on top of all their other bills. And, you know, according to Genworth cost of care survey 2021 in the Memphis, Tennessee area today, the cost of a nursing home, just a semi-private room is 85,000 a year. So it's pretty accurate. So you need to be careful. That's a great point. So we've Mm -hmm. covered five basic principles when it comes to why you need a financial plan, a financial strategy. Mm -hmm. So I hope we've answered Braden's question. And let me go back over the five again. Number one, know the financial risk. Plan against those financial risks, whether it's unemployment, the water in the kitchen, whatever it is. What you need to do is plan for that. Eliminate personal debt. That's the credit card debt. Then also begin to think long-term because you are going to live a long life. And we see that. When I started in the business, if you got to 65 and retired, all I had to do was plan to 72. Today, if you're at that point, it's 90. And it, I've already seen mortality tables saying, nope, it's got to go to 100. So reality is we're going to live much longer. And you said also be able to understand, be prepare to retire in the style that you've gotten accustomed to. You don't Mm -hmm. want to all of a sudden go from the big flat screen TV in color to black and white. That's a great point. And then prepare yourself to take care of aging parents. Mm -hmm. Michael done a great job for us. Thank you, man. Thank you. Stay with us, though, because Ted's going to now talk. Ted, I want to talk about tax traps when it comes to Social Security. We've gone from a young guy, but we get questions on Social Security all the time. I don't have one specifically that we've got from anybody, but we've had over the six months, three months, the last two weeks, we get questions all the time. So tell me, what are you talking about when you say Social Security, tax traps, there's only 2,200 or 728 rules when it comes to Social Security. I know all of them. I know you know all of them. I wish I could say I knew all of them. Uh, I tell you, Jim, what it is, is most of the time when people look at Social Security, uh, the thing they're concerned about, and, and, and really when they sit down, they don't know how much they're going to receive. They don't know when they're going to return it, turn it on. 
so they start evaluating number one how much money they're going to they're going to get. Then they start thinking about when they're going to receive it. And those two questions impact other things that they ought to be considering. And what happens a lot of times is people start making decisions to go ahead and start getting it because they, they, they want it early because they're afraid the system's going to go bankrupt, which is, which is the number one problem uh, in retirement today uh, is that the, the choice of Social Security too early. But, but they do that, and it impacts things like capital gains. It impacts actually the income on Social Security. Social Security is taxed completely differently than anything else you have out there. All of Social Security is not taxed, and it's based upon the amount of income that you're receiving. So a lot of times, by, the, by, by changing some of their choices, they can receive some of that, especially when they're beginning it. They can receive some of that when their income's lower. When a person's going on Social Security, a lot of the times they're, 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 they're winding down on their job. And so receiving that money maybe in the next year instead of this year when their income's lower would help with the taxation of Social Security. That'd be one thing they could do to resolve some of the issues with the taxation of Social Security. I know that taxation is such an important part of any planning process. Now, you're going to talk about when we come back after the break, provisional income. That's a term that I'm not sure I know a whole lot about. And I'm sure if you're listening right now, provisional income, we're going to find out. And how is capital gains taxed? Ted knows the answer and is very good, but you just need to listen and pay attention to what he's going to be giving. He's talking about avoiding tax traps when it comes to Social Security. Up next, Daniel Irwin from the Better Business Bureau is going to give us some very good, solid ways of thinking about what's happening when you're being scammed. And he's got something he's going to play for us. He's got a taped recording of a scammer that actually tells us his income. You do not want to miss that, folks. This is great. I want to remind you that you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. We do thank you for doing that. Just a reminder, Scam School, Professor Daniel Irwin. We've covered some things, and when Ted comes back, he's going to continue and talk about provisional income. We'll be right back right after this. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Daniel Irwin or the Better Business Bureau. The views and opinions expressed are those of Daniel Irwin only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. Thank you so much for being a part of today's program. Ted, we're back with you, partner. I want to ask you this question. You mentioned provisional income. It's a term that I'm sure 
our listeners don't really know much about provisional income. Uh, provisional income, actually, the, the term provisional income was set up by the United States government to be able to calculate the tax uh, bracket that you're in with Social Security. And here's how Social Security works. Uh, for a couple that is uh, a, a couple that's married, filing joint, provisional income comes into play when when uh, what the government did is uh, instead of looking at taxable income, they started throwing back in some of these things that they don't tax so that it raises that income level so that they can capture some of the in, some of the taxation of Social Security benefits, really. Give me an example of that. What are you talking about? Well, we have non-taxable interest sometimes, municipal bonds and things right. like that. That's thrown back in the equation. When you start count, counting your provisional income, you start counting your, uh, you start you pulling in some things that aren't, uh, are not taxable income to calculate how much your Social Security benefits are taxed. And really, when you start working through a process, it even goes back to Michael talking about a financial plan and strategies and working through that. When you're working on someone's income at retirement when they're receiving Social Security, it's really net income. What is it that you're putting in your pockets? That's and right. If you're not managing this, you could end up paying too much tax. Yeah, and, and really, even though you can have the long-term plan like Brandon talks about, but it comes down to every year with many of my clients that are that have income close to these tax brackets, we start looking at things near the end of the year to plan how we do certain things. One of them is capital gains. Capital gains, they may have accounts where they have the ability to sell stock and have capital gains in there. Well, that's a tax liability because if they sell those things, they got to pay taxes on them. Uh, and if in the first tax bracket, when you look at a, a married filing joint uh, you know they can they, they can make up to eighty three thousand five hundred fifty dollars of taxable income. That's not including the standard deduction. You add that in, that's twenty five thousand nine hundred. And if the couple's over sixty five, they get another twenty seven hundred dollar deduction. So a, a young couple or a couple, they're not young, sixty five, but well, I'm sixty five. Wait a minute, that's that's a young couple. Yeah, that's they young. are young. I agree yeah. with that. <laughs> so they've got a hundred twelve thousand dollars worth of income that they can have, and if the capital gains income is included in that, the tax on that capital gain is zero. The first tax bracket for capital gains is zero up to that $112,000 income. So when it gets down near the end of the year, I'm in a situation right now where I have a, a client that uh, he's got a $62,000 gain on the sale of a house. And uh, we're talking this week, he was saying, how can I mitigate some of that, some of that, those taxes. Well, one of the things we're doing is lowering his income in his case by contributing more to his 401k. That's taking some income off the table and that gives him more room for that $65,000 to fall in this $112,000 limit. And that's at 0%. Now the stuff that's over that, it goes to 15. So the difference is 15% that he can save if we can get as much as we can under that $112,000 limit. And if a person was, in his case, he's not, but if a person was making a decision on Social Security, they would not want to take Social Security, in his case, before the beginning of next year because of this liability. You know, I think that's the process of planning. I mean, that's really what you're doing. Of course, we always tell people we're not tax people. We're always right. to get your lawyer, your tax accountant, or anything like that to get that final look at that. But the reality is you're walking them through a process and explaining them ways to, uh, you know, avoid taxes legally. And that's just good planning. 
Yes, and, and, and we do it every year. I mean, again, if you are a person that is close to these uh, tax bracket changes, uh, like this couple here, and he his income is going to be right around 100000 or so, so he's got room. So every year we are looking for capital gains that we can get in under that to get rid of some of that tax liability and not pay taxes on What are three ways that you would tell people to reduce capital gains? Well, you've got uh, the, when you want to think about sometimes uh, money going into the Roth, uh, going into the Roth account is one thing that you can look. You can harvest capital gains. At the end of the year, you can do, uh, you can look at your capital gains, the ones that have, have uh, gone up, the ones that have gone down. You can sell off losses to go against some of those capital gains. Another big one, people don't think about this, but if you give money to charity, you can give, instead of giving cash, give an appreciated asset. When you give something that's had appreciation, you are getting rid of some of your tax liability. That is the, the most efficient way to give money to charity outside of using your RMDs. One thing that talks specifically to Social Security, I mentioned it a while ago, if you're, in the, if you're trying to make a decision on, on your, or your Social Security, one of the things you can do is you could put it off to next year. The government, if as long as it's after your full retirement age, you can actually go back six months and collect some of the benefits you would have had you turned it on a little bit earlier. Now, I will warn you that if you do that, they're going to calculate your benefit as if you started receiving it six months ago. But from a taxation standpoint, if your income was high and this was your last year working, by doing that and taking the money next year, it would be taxed when your income is lower and that would lower your tax benefit. You know, Ted, I've heard you say this, that, um, I mean, planning and, and working with Social Security is not just turn it on and you're done. You've got to really go through that process. And those 2,700, by the way, we got time for you to go through all of those for us, 2,700. You we, want to start we, with number one? We covered three. <laughs> we covered three, three <laughs> of 2,728. At the end of the day, you mentioned a while ago, and you've got so much information that you cover. And, and let me tell you, if you're listening to Ted Minder today and you want to talk to Ted about your situation with Social Security, telephone number is 901-757-5757. If you, if, again, if you want to talk to Michael about how to put together a plan, it's 901-757-5757. Ted, at the end of the day, you started with this, that people fear that Social Security is not going to be there. What's your thoughts? Well, for the people that are 55 and older, I think that, uh, you know, the information out there is that we've got a good bit of information that we can calculate what their benefit is going to be. Uh, what people hear about that they fear is that the Social Security trust fund is going away. Social Security today is nearly 80% of the funding of Social Security today is done by your paycheck and my paycheck. And uh, that's not going to go away. Uh, that's, that's funded for the next 90 years. But, uh, but there's about 20% of it that's funded by that, that Social Security Trust Fund that had collected all the monies that were collected above what was being given out. So they had to put it in a trust fund. And when a person receives a check today, about 20% of it's coming from that. 80% of it's coming from the payroll taxes that, that people are paying. Uh, there are laws right now, there's a law right now that they're looking at to increase the tax, uh, the payroll taxes, uh, Social Security taxes on people that make above $400,000. That is a bill right now that they are discussing. It's in the news right now. It's part of the package that, that they're dealing with. That is another one of these things that they're trying to implement to help fund more into Social Security. So uh, certainly 80% of it is well-funded 
uh, and uh, right now there's there's many rules that they could implement that would change things dramatically. And I, you know, I know we're facing some negative growth, and uh, right. as far as population growth, that'll affect it. But you're saying there there's always ways of tweaking it, and that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, and even right now, the, the importance of it. The second part, number one, was the taxation. Number two is people next year. Right now, they're throwing around a 10 percent increase in Social Security benefits because of inflation. Social Security benefits are tied to a COLA, cost of living adjustment. That's what makes it so important for people in retirement. Absolutely. Well said, my friend. Well said. Thank you so much. It's been a great, great conversation. Avoiding tax traps when it comes to Social Security. Ted, you always do a great job. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Well, it's time. The professor has entered the room. He is here. Mr. Daniel Irwin, Director of Public Relations from the Better Business Bureau of the Mid-South, frequent guest of ours. Also, you hear him on the station 98.9 every Monday morning with Ditch and uh, does a fabulous job of teaching us how to avoid scams. And today, he's going to go through some tools that we need to know when it comes to understanding and he's going to teach us that and then he's going to go through behaviors that we need to look at and then some immediate steps to take in case you have fallen prey to that predator that scammer welcome to the program daniel hey how are you jim Thanks i'm for doing me. great man i'm excited i'm looking forward to hearing this tape that's done but we're going to let you start first sir what do you got for us yeah so just to set this clip up um we had an elderly woman that was in her office she was being inundated with these amazon calls and she was telling us she was getting five ten of them at a time and they were just really really bugging her and they now, were amazon calls right well the, fake amazon calls yeah saying. she was thinking amazon was calling her. well she knew that it was a scam okay but she could couldn't keep them from calling. They just call and call and call. So she came into our office to kind of see if we had any ideas of how she could, you know, get them to stop because she had blocked all the numbers and they were cussing her out and they were being really vulgar. And as I was talking to her, I actually witnessed three of these calls. And so she put it on speakerphone and it was so vulgar and it just disturbed me so much that I decided to just call the guy back. I had the number. And so I just would call and I would, you know, say something and they'd hang up on me. And so I'd get mad and I'd call and call and call. And so I must've called 30 times and I got through to their, it was going to a call center in India. And so I would get different people and they would hang up on me and I'd call back and I'd get somebody else, but I'd just start where I left off, right? Where they hung up on me. And so I finally got this guy. Um, and I, again, I'd gotten him on the phone a couple of times, but I just kind of lit into him and, and just started where we left off. And, um, he, he told us some information. Wow, this is this is great. I mean, I, I tell you what, you, this is going to kind of shock you. So we don't approve of his language, but the reality is it's a real person. Right. Thanks for calling. How can I help you? Yeah, so I know that you're a scam, and you know that you're a scam. How do you get compensated? Are you idiots? You know I'm a scammer, then why the hell you call us? Because I get sick of you calling me. I just wonder, like, how much do you really make off this? I, like, like my last month was... $200,000. I tell you what, <laughs> I am blown away with that. Now, you know, possibly he's lying to us, but I tell you, I don't think he would be, that That to me would be the way you asked the question, I think, Daniel, it was, I mean, he wanted you to know that. Well, and there's a nugget of truth to it, right? We could we could maybe go back and forth. Did he really make 200? Did he make 180? Did he make 215? But it's big business it's big and business. people they wouldn't be doing this all the time if they weren't making money. So let's just assume that that number's correct or something like that's correct. Um 
we have a couple things that that these are tools that the scammers use uh, that he would use to make his money. Okay, now I want you to. This is important for you that we tell you this. We're going to go through the, this whole process of knowing the tools that he's going to share with us. We're going to talk about behaviors that can right. make you a target that you need to listen to and be very very concerned about when you're doing this and things that you wouldn't think about that really do happen. And then. Finally, the steps to take if you fall to a, you know, fail for a scam. What do you do? Right. Well, the first thing, the first big tool in a scammer's toolbox is going to be spoofing. We hear about this all the time. That's caller ID spoofing. Remember, you can't trust what's on your caller ID. You look down on your phone and it says Social Security Office. Well, it's not the Social Security Office calling you. They're spoofing that. So you can't trust caller ID. So that's one tool is the scammers use. They, they spoof. The other's phishing. And when I say phishing, I'm not talking about fishing for fish in a lake. I'm talking about phishing, P-H- I-S-H-I-N-G. Uh, those are all these emails, calls, texts, and letters trying to trick you into sending cards uh, or cash or disclosing personal information. Um, so, you know, those all those unsolicited phone calls, texts, and emails, that's considered phishing. Uh, fake profiles and fake photos. All those fake social media identities and fake uh, fake profiles on, profiles on social media and then those fake photos. They use stock photos that they've gotten online and they use those as part of their pitch. Uh, they also use fake claims uh, and fake names, credentials, and badge numbers. One of the things we see with those fake profiles and those fake photos is sometimes um, they'll say they're, they're a police officer, they're law enforcement. They may even send you a phony badge or a phony badge, a picture of a phony badge or a, a ID. So you know, they, they do do that. And, and Daniel, the problem with that is the normal person, when you get something like that, we immediately trust that. And that's the problem here. Right. We were, we're, we're taught from, from, from a young age yeah, to respect yeah. authority. So Absolutely. that's one of the reasons why they, they, they use these. The other one is computer pop-ups. This is one that they use quite a bit in tech scams. And pop-up warnings can show up on your computer and alarms may sound. Uh, if you click on a suspicious link or open an attachment um, or malware can compromise your computer. So they're trying to get you to click on that link. The other thing that happens with computer pop-ups is a phone number will pop up for you to call to get it off your computer. You'll call that number and they'll actually say they're with Microsoft or they're with Norton Antivirus. They're not. They're scammers. Um, they're the ones that put that there, but that's a big tool they use. They use these computer pop-ups to try to get you to contact them. I actually had that to happen on my on my computer, and uh, the reality was I'm working. At, you know, I've got a big presentation. I'm going through that process. All of a sudden, it pops up Microsoft. It's, it's all very looked at. Call this number, and I go, right. and I call my IT people, and they now now it happens. And it just, I just cut the computer off. I and, mean, and you've seen it. So it's really believable, it's right? It's, believable. it's very believable. That's why they use it. The other thing, other tool in their toolbox is lead lists. Um, it's a list that, that it's just like a, a sales list, like, like y'all might, or a sales professional might use. Every time you get one of those phone calls and you answer it, the scammers know that's a live number. They turn around, they put your name on a lead list, and they sell that to other scammers. So that's that's why, you know, all the time we get inundated with these calls, sometimes you just need to not answer them because if you do, uh, they're going to put you on a lead list. So putting the dialing the zero, if it says, hey, click zero or dial zero if you want to get taken off the call list or you 
interrupt them enough to say, hey, take me off your list. They say, yeah, they'll take you off your list, but are they really doing that? No, because remember, it's illegal in the first place, right? Yeah. It's fraud. They're trying to steal your money, your personal information. They're not abiding by any laws. They're breaking laws. When you when when you, um, when you you click on it, when it says click one to talk to someone or click zero to, to, to be taken off the list, mm-hmm. all you're doing is reaffirming that your number is a live number and you're getting put on one of those lead lists. So oh, you're wow. saying don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Hang up. All right. If you get an automated call and it says press zero, press mm-hmm. one, hang up the phone. Don't press anything because you're going to get put on one of those lists. And the other two, the, the final two things that uh, the, the main tactics they use are secrecy and persuasion. Uh, scammers often insist their targets keep silent about what they're being instructed to do. That's secrecy. And then persuasion. Um, they'll use flattery and charm to gain your trust. And alternatively, they may threaten violence to frighten you to act. So, you know, they're, they're secrecy. You can't talk to anybody. Don't run it by your family. They're trying to isolate you. And then persuasion. They're either going to flatter you or they're going to try to be your friend or they're going to just threaten you outright. You know, Daniel, you started this by talking about a, a woman that came into your office and she was inundated and you called this guy back. You mm-hmm. got in touch with him. You were calling numerous people and getting a hold of numerous peop- n- numerous individuals. Can't something be done? Can't, can't a traceability be done to those people to have something done to stop them from doing it again? Well, it seems simple, and, and I know it seems like that would just be obvious. Unfortunately, it's a little more complicated when you, um, most of these calls originate from overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, this particular one, I'm pretty sure, was in India. Uh, it's a call center in India. There's a lot of rules and regulations. It's kind of hard to, you know, for the United States to go after that. Um, they do raid these call centers from time to time, but uh, that's a really good point. It's important to, it's important to, um, to report these calls, right? Uh, not necessarily so so they can be, uh, you know, arrested per se, but you know the the government can't go after them. They don't know it's happening, right? Um, so if you don't report it to places like the Better Business Bureau or the Federal Trade Commission or or um, you know your attorney general's office, if you don't report the scams, they don't know they're going on and they can't build cases and go after them the way that they should. So are we reporting the actual phone number that we see? Is that what we do? We call and give them the phone number yes. that comes in. Yes, uh, you can. You can. We we have a, something called a scam tracker that you either can call our office or go online, and it's a form you can fill out. And yes, we want all the information that you have. Um, so yeah, it's really important to uh, to report those scams. All right, guys. I want to. We've covered the the kind of the the thought process, the the things that they use. I mean, bottom line is the two kit that the, they they have. We'll go back over that later. But Daniel, you do such a good. This is Daniel Irwin. He is with the Better Business Bureau, the Director of Public Relations. We're in scam school, and here's the reality: there's some behaviors that I think I would have never thought about this, but these are behaviors to avoid. Yeah, so these are some common behaviors that can make you a target for scammers and that they count on. And the first one we kind of recently uh, just kind of touched on briefly, you respect authority, right? We're taught from an early age to respect authority. That's why you see all these law enforcement impersonation scams, right? Social Security, IRS, you know, they're coming from an authority figure. So we've been taught to respect authority. That's why they impersonate authority figures. Uh, The other one, you're cocky. I can't tell you the number of times I hear from someone, hey, they can't get me. Scammers love it when you're cocky because yeah. just when you think that you can't be scammed, you do. You know, uh, we, recently uh, there was a retired FBI cyber crimes agent that lost money on an online shopping scam, right? A puppy scam. He's a retired FBI agent that worked on cyber crimes and he couldn't tell the difference between a real website and a fake website. And if he can't do that, 
how are we supposed to be able to, Boy, right? Boy, no kidding. I mean, that's the point. I mean, that's got to the point I'm paranoid. Right. I, you know, I'm almost I'm skeptical of everything. So if you think it can't happen to you, it can and it does. Uh, the other one is you've slipped up once, right? So if you've already been a victim of a scam, again, we talked about lead lists. Your name is on a list. So uh, the scammers think that if you've slipped up once, they, they've got a good chance to get you again. The other one is you're friendly, right? Really friendly people. Uh, many victims who call us tell us they met their scammer on social media in a friend request. So, you know, that's another one. And then the other one is you're under stress. Uh, a lot of the people that fall victim to these scams and lose money are under a lot of stress anyway. And so, you know, they're not thinking clearly. They don't necessarily see the red flags or they don't think their decisions through. So they're under a lot of stress. And uh, the other one is you're lonely. If you're lonely, um, you know, that's another thing that scammers look out for. Many scam victims report feeling lonely and isolated from family and friends, and that makes them more susceptible to fake friendliness of professional thieves. Well, that makes a big, big point, and I think that's critical. So here we are. You've got some immediate steps. You've covered the toolkit, discovered be- covered behavior. What's the toolkit right. that we need to do? So there are three things you can do, immediate steps to take if you think you've fallen for a scam. The first one is block the scammer at the point of attack. If you've opened a suspicious email, answered a spammy robocall, or think you've been the target of a a scam, cease all contact. And this is key. Write down any information about the potential scammer and block their email address or phone number. And when you write that information down, keep that. You're going to need that later. If you've been scammed, make sure you keep that information. The other one is immediately reach out through proper channels. Um, Assuming that you've lost money, uh, if you've paid with a debit or credit card, reach out to your uh, bank or your credit card issuer to go ahead and start the stop of that charge, right? Go ahead and dispute that charge. You need to make sure you tell them that you are the victim of a scam. That'll help. If you've paid by gift card, there's not really a lot you can do. Um, Unfortunately, I've not ever heard of anybody getting their money back, but you should still contact the issuer of the gift card and report it. Because again, that's how laws are made. The more that you report it to the gift card issuer, the more um, that they'll know that there's a problem. And, and, you know, hopefully we'll be at one point in in time, uh, be able to to get our money back through that way. the other is if you uh, sent money wire transfer, um, contact who you transferred that money through. And if you sent uh, money through Cash App or Venmo, make sure you reach out to the company um, and let them know that you have you know, been a victim of fraud and scam. Um, you probably can't get your money back, but it's possible, so reach out to them. And the last thing you should do, number three, is protect yourself. Um, if you fall in victim, the best thing you can do is protect yourself for what's about to come. So collect important information. Write down dates times, phone numbers that they called, names they gave you, all the important information. And then this is really important. File a police report. For a scam to be labeled a crime, you need to file a police report. And you're going to need that when you're trying to get your money back or when you're going through all the steps that you need to take to protect yourself. And then report um, or request a credit freeze or a short-term uh, fraud alert. Make sure you contact all th- one, one of the three credit bureaus. They cross-report information, but make sure you reach out to the credit bureau. You can, also, you can pull your credit and you can see if there's anything that's not accurate so you can dispute it then. But also you can let them know that you may have been the victim 
victim of fraud and you can put a freeze or an alert on your credit. That's really important. And then uh, you should be changing all your passwords every couple months anyway. But if you've been the victim of fraud, make sure you not just change your Facebook password. Just go ahead and change all your all passwords. Yeah, yeah. That's so you should be doing that every three months anyway. Uh, that's what we suggest. And make sure you report the scam to both the BBB and the Federal Trade Commission. Again, we take this information. We use this to get the word out. But also government mm-hmm. agencies look at our reports and they use that in their investigations. So that's why it's really important to report scams. Scam school. Wow. I mean, phenomenal. How do we get graded? Well, you know, we got to take a test here in a few minutes, guys. <laughs> you so all get, get prepared. Yeah, everybody. It is phenomenal information. And if you want to just, you know, get this information, you didn't get a chance to catch it all, you can, of course, always find our show on the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe to the podcast. We definitely would appreciate that. I want to thank my guest, Micah Powell, Ted Miner, and Daniel Irwin. Always, guys, you did a great job. If you have questions for Daniel, you can reach him at 901-759-1300. If you've got a question for Michael or Ted, you can reach them at 901-757-5757. Thanks, guys. I so much appreciate you being here today. Absolutely. We thank love you, Jim. It. Thanks All for having right. me. Next week, Drew Johnson and Steve Anderson are going to be here. We're going to talk about something that you may have heard of. It's called ESG Investing. I'm not going to tell you what ESG stands for. You look it up and you'll find out. Also, Jamie Fish will be with us back to school and how to cope. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m., Sunday at 12 noon. I want to remind you, if you've got questions, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Thank you so much for listening. We are here for you, helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell, and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.